Hello, everybody out there, little cats and kittens. We're going to do a special kind of segment right now. We're cutting all this out. Fuck that. Fuck this nonsense. Take a look backward with plaid lads. We're looking at some things that we forgot to follow up on. Now we're gonna do it for you. Give you thoughts on things that we were gonna talk about. And now it's time for the segment that I said. The one that I'm singing right about in my head. And a wait a little baby and a bird and a bow. And a Frankie is a baby and a I am a his dad. <laughs> Hi, Dad. <laughs> Hi, Hi, Daddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna follow up on some things that we uh, forgot to <laughs> follow up on, <laughs> and yeah, some literally other things. We set up the idea that uh, for a couple of these things, we set up that we were covering an older show <laughs> in order to talk about the newer seasons or versions of the show. That were premiering the week that we were talking about them, and then literally never talked about them again. <laughs> we're bad and at so, this. Uh, <laughs> this is why so. we're not on. But uh, we're also going to talk about our changing views on art we've covered because the art is uh, is a living thing, ladies and gents. Unless it's Game of Thrones, and because that's dead, that's, baby. That's dead, and I am living my best life now. Game of what? Yeah, right. Game of yeah. Thrones. Anyway, let's take you all the way back. The bay, way back to five episodes ago. I don't know. I'm going to talk about the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Samir Wassan is an artist of great principle. A man who refuses to compromise his beliefs for a cheap joke. But tonight, he felt the rush of the limelight for the first time. Now, he'll have to decide what really matters to him when the laughter stops. And how much he's willing to give to the Twilight Zone. Um... I watched the first two episodes. I have not gotten back to the rest of it. And um, I see what people were saying. It was not getting good reviews. But it captures the tone. It's like it's middling episodes of The Twilight Zone. But it truly feels like The Twilight Zone has come back. As opposed to like The Twilight Zone movie, which... eh, and the other reboot. The other reboot had a couple of good things in the eighties. The nineties one I can't speak to, mm-hmm. but the eighties one had some good things to it. Did it have a narrator? Yes. Okay. Um, it was somebody famous. I'll find it. You keep talking. Um, but uh, there's some good Twilight Zoney. Ham-fisted <laughs> um, uh, points being made. Uh, it's it's decent. 
Oh, it was uh, no, it wasn't anybody famous. It was a guy named Charles Aidman. Oh. Um, and the theme song to the '80s one, produced by you guessed it, The Grateful Dead. Oh, nice. <laughs> and this was 1985. Was it? Was it Touch of Grey? You walk into this room at your own risk, because it leads to the future, not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. This is insane. Theme music composed by Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, Brent Pylon, Bill Lesh, Mickey Hart, like the fucking whole band. Uh, anywho, uh, uh, there's no good Grateful Dead music, right? Oh God! Oh, Shut up. The album American Beauty's amazing. Oxumoxua is a great album. It's pretty good. They're trash, right? Like they're a trash band. Oh, oh. no! Have we entered the Twilight Zone? They they they're a good band. They make good sound songs. <laughs> they're like these sloppy American the band the band. No, they are not. <laughs> oh, they're terrible. Oh. <laughs> Justify yourself, sir. Go. Uh, so the Grateful Dead had a member, uh, a lead singer. Uh, this gentleman's name was Pigpen. Is that correct? Uh, a Pigpen is involved. Yes. Why? <laughs> uh, I have a I have a standing rule where if anyone in your band is named Pigpen. <laughs> Then I'm not going to like your band. Then you are cutting yourself out from some wonderful pig pen panned music. Uh, I Listening to the Grateful Dead always makes me sleepy. Um, because yeah, you're always supposed to listen to the live versions of what they do. No. And they're always so fucking boring. That, are, you, are you confusing them with fish? Because no, fish can I don't go like either it. band. No, that, I don't that, like either. That, that's the thing. The whole jamminess and the culture surrounding it. I, I, I'll say that. There are a lot of bands that I can't get into, uh, like uh, Springsteen or, um, or others, that it's just the fans are not all great. Yeah. Um, I think the Grateful Dead are the kings of that. <laughs> yeah. But the music itself, we got to do American Beauty on here sometime. It's a great Ooh, album. That, that's going to be the one where I'm going to have to like temper myself down beforehand because I know I'm going to hate it. Oh, 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 oh baby, it's coming. I'm going to hate Are it. Are you sure? Uh, and I, I'm going to make have you ever jokes about to how it? Jerry Garcia died. Ha, ha, what? I'm going to make some jokes about how Jerry Garcia died. I know I am. Yeah, so what? Yeah, he's, <laughs> dead. he's been dead a long time. <laughs> have you ever listened to American Beauty? The album, probably not. Oh, well, well then, then, yeah, there you, you don't go. Know, you don't you're even know what you're talking it. about. Yeah, okay. you dumb bumby. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not going to like it. So anyway, anyway the Twilight, the Twilight Zone. Zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my estimation of things, uh, it does not justify its own existence. But I think it's decent what it did. But there's no... It it's doesn't so- need to continue. It's so interesting that you said that because leading up to the the new Twilight Zone premiering, the way it was marketed, packaged, and sold to everyone was that this was a Jordan Peele joint. Exactly. In point of fact, it is not. No. 
This was developed by the now uh, justifiably uh, pariahed Brian Singer mm-hmm. um, and his uh, frequent collaborator, Simon Kinberg. Um, and Simon Kinberg has retained the creative control over the show. Jordan Peele just exec produced it and starred in it. Yeah. The scripts of these things really aren't his. And the driving force behind the development of the show wasn't him. He just kind of jumped in at the end. Um, And he is the sort of forward face of the show. But these aren't really his ideas and these aren't really his scripts and it's not really his vision for the show. So that's why when people watched it, they were immediately disappointed because it was very sort of deceptively marketed by CBS. I haven't seen Us yet, but uh, Get Out is is a Twilight Zone movie. Yes, mm. it's a better Twilight Zone movie than the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's perfect, and that's kind of how he's setting his career up. And honestly... Us is, is really good, by the way. Yeah, I need to see that. But, like, yeah, we don't... We don't need to reboot the Twilight Zone because we've got Jordan Peele's career in front of us. And we don't need to reboot the Twilight Zone because we have the Twilight Zone. It was True. fine where it was. True. You know, it's a great show. It is effortlessly rewatchable. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of the really good stuff holds up extraordinarily well. Yeah. As we talked about. Yeah. And I feel like for probably two generations, two or three generations now, it's more been a, a, a thing. It's like the Beatles. It's It hasn't contempor- contemporaneously existed for uh, most of its fans probably at this point. Oh, yeah. It's like pavement. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, we don't need the reunion tour. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it doesn't need to be a, a contemporary thing for folks. It's, it's it's always been sort of in this uh, time capsule of the past. And there's there's the uh, New Year's uh, marathon. There's the 4th of July 4th of July marathon. marathon that they didn't do last year. They didn't? They replaced it with A Nightmare on Elm Street, which made me angry because most of those movies are terrible. I don't know. Fuck you, Sci-Fi Channel. Fuck you, Sci-Fi. Fuck you, Sci-Fi. Let's move to HBO. Where we are following up on True Detective, because we did a whole ass episode about the first (laughs) season of True Detective. And it was great. That's one of the great seasons of American television. Uh, And we did it because the new season starring Mahershala Ali uh, was premiering at that time. Um, and this season ties in a little bit with what we're going to talk about for the rest of the episode, because Deadwood creator and writer David Milch co-wrote an episode of season three. Which I don't look at credits very often, but watching that episode, there were some great lines, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's like, oh, David Milch. That. Yeah, yeah, he wrote go. that. <laughs> and you, how you going to wear that badge? It's got a little clip on it. Um, so... It was interesting because this was a big return to form for the show because the second season was pretty widely reviled by a lot of people. So this show did a lot of things to bring it back to the format uh, by uh, having a uh, time structure that separated it by three different time periods Mm -hmm. uh, by making there a central mystery involving uh, sort of child murder and uh, uh, small town stuff. Um, in the American South and the two stars of the show were the main focus. And I thought they were both excellent. Stephen Dorff in particular was great. Definitely. Mahershala Ali, uh, 
is a goddamn national treasure. Uh, one of our finest actors. Yeah. I, um, and the 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 time stuff worked so well. The fucking makeup and was cool. then and performance of they Marshall convincingly Ali. played old, which is very hard to do. Yes, uh, uh, amazing. Now, um, you go ahead. Okay, so what I was going to say is, and it is mostly very good and enjoyable. But it is not what season one was because the entire structure of season three is that when you get to the end, there is no mystery. Yes. And this was done deliberately, I think, in order to differentiate it from season one. But then they do a thing in order to throw you off the scent of the fact that there is no mystery. They explicitly tie it to season one. Yeah. Because there is a moment where Mahershala Ali's character is shown a picture of Rust and Marty uh, from after they busted uh, or killed the Yellow King. Um, and the reporter who's doing a book on the uh, uh, child murder that Mahershala Ali is investigating says, oh, this was from Louisiana in 2012, and they were investigating a very similar set of circumstances. We think there might be a national ring of child murderers and child killers. Um, and you're like, oh, shit. They're doing Yellow King stuff all over the country. Oh, my God. Is Glenn Fleshler going to show up in this one, too? Is, is Matthew McConaughey going to pop up and, and, and uh, serenade us through? And no, because at the end, there is no mystery. There is no dead girl. It's just and kind of a convoluted thing. And not only is there no mystery, but the Mahershala Ali character who is afflicted with Alzheimer's forgets everything. Yes, which, which much like the first season of Shoe Detective, where it took like the last moments for me to fully understand what the show was. Similar yeah. thing happened with this on purpose. Um, but um, where, yeah, I don't think all of it's the strongest. What it kind of just turned out to be was here's just a character thing of. Yes of Mahershala Ali and Alzheimer's. Yes. And because it, the, no, keep going. And it, it was so beautifully done. And, and as I said, that twilight zone doesn't this season justifies the continued existence of true detective. Yes, because it turns everything on its head. And it's unfortunate that I think a lot of people cooled on it a little bit because they were expecting another mystery. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of the season, it reveals that the mystery was never the point. Yes. Um, and it was all a, a giant red herring mm -hmm. to just tell the story of this one character um, and his relationship to Stephen Dorff. Yes. Um, and his wife. And his wife, who, yes. Who was too. also a... Uh, was great. Great. Uh, better than Michelle Monaghan was in the first season, I would say. Well, I mean... Uh, she, had... she, does, she has different stuff to do. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so it's, this is a weird one. And they even go so far as to waste Michael Rooker a little bit. Yes! To throw you off and think that he was going to be a big bad villain. And he's only in it for about five minutes, maybe even less than that he's in the great. final episode. He's great, though. <laughs> he's awesome. I always love seeing Michael Rooker in things. 
but they did a little too much, I think, to throw you off the scent of the fact that the mystery is not the point. Yeah. Um, it felt like a, just a little much. Yeah. And I think some of the the three timelines uh, weren't always fully... Uh, yeah. It's it's not a perfect season of TV like the first season was, but no, but uh, it is very good, I think. And there are some amazing things that I haven't seen before. Yes, uh, in particular, the Stephen Dorff bar fight. I always wondered, all these butt-faced human pieces of garbage out there walking the earth, who's making them? I mean, what kind of Frankenstein monsters are out there copulating to create all these hunks of shit people in the world? Then I come in this bar, here's you two. Give me the answer I've been looking for my whole fucking life. Yeah. And then subsequently him hugging the dog and crying. Yeah. Just fucking wrecked me. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Anywho, fuck TV. Music's where it be. Uh, (laughs) Justin, are you a goblin living below a a bridge? Are you... uh, (laughs) Is this a riddle we have to solve for oh, gold? Yeah. yeah, go for it. <laughs> so uh, I think me and Justin kind of want to follow up a little bit. And Frank, too. Why not? Uh, yeah. Want to follow on up. On the good album. On uh, uh, Groove Denied by Stephen Malkmus. Because yes. we're, we're, oh, we're oh pretty... I thought you meant the Minsky album. Never mind. Uh, well, we'll, we'll do that a little bit, too. But um, it's a really tremendous record. And uh, when we reviewed it, we didn't have a chance to live with it. And f- frankly... This is more than we will do for any other record because we're, I think, all pretty big fans and we like to just live the hell out of anything Stephen Malkmus does. So um, having done that now, uh, I think our impressions have grown and changed. And I think the biggest thing was that we had some skepticism of whether or not we were going to be able to appreciate the more electronic elements as much as the more standard elements on this record. And I know for me, I can report that I only skip through them about half the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 24-7 creative, 24-7 creative. I, the couple of times I listened to it after we recorded, I appreciated them more. I... I was reticent about this record because I, like you said, I really didn't have enough time to sit with it and electronic music in general. I like some of it and like there are are records that I enjoy, but it's also not my wheelhouse. So I don't really have a huge vocabulary with it. So when artists I like get really heavy into the electronic stuff, I feel a little lost in the weeds, you know, which is why I never liked those Bob Mould records. Like one of the ones that you picked up. Yeah. Uh, um, so I, one thing is that like, uh, Miss, I think was partially motivated to do the, motivated to do this when he was living in Berlin, Germany. And I think that kind of comes through because sort of the electronic influence on this record, uh, is a bit vintage electronic. It's, yeah. a, it's a bit craft work. It's a bit fun, fun, fun on the autobahn, like gen one <laughs> kraut rock. Which makes sense because he's a huge Can fan, so why not? Why not just lick the plate of the whole genre? Um, uh, yeah, so it wasn't you know he had no uh, side chained uh, uh, Daft Punk bass, and he had no uh, 
uh, triplet stuttering dubstep shit. So you know, it was it was it was pretty. It was pretty Malcolmusy electronic yeah. music, yeah. You know? Yes, it was. It was more Malcolmus than I was initially felt comfortable with. But the, I listened to it again, and it was just like it hit. That said, uh, I basically only listened to three songs on the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think your three are probably the same as my three. They're probably all the same. It's uh, Ocean of Revenge, uh, Grow yeah. Nothing, and uh, Come Find Me or Come Get Me. Yeah. Uh, hurry I, on home. Yes. Ocean I, of Revenge in particular is my big one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I the the thing I left dangling last time, uh, like a, a horse-drawn carrot, <laughs> <laughs> was. Uh, I'm stealing that. Was uh, um, I I liked it a lot, and I if I listen to it more, I might love it, and I uh, I listen to it a bit more, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good album, and it's one that I am interested in seeing him do live. I think I probably missed his you local did. show. He, he didn't. He didn't come to Philly. It was, oh, okay. it was a pretty limited tour. Um, um, but yeah, I would be interested in seeing him do this stuff live. I'm not sure you would. Justin was right. He basically he just had like a folding chair and would just sit. And <laughs> <laughs> He's just one of those people you never really know what you're gonna get. Yeah. No. When it comes to a live show, uh, I think this kind of encapsul- encapsulates his place in the music realm and uh, in modern uh, who's who music culture. The new Slater Kinney record was produced by Saint Vincent. Stephen Malkmus bought one of Saint Vincent's signature guitars to tour his electronic <laughs> solo record. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's a little. A little bit of perfection in that. Um, uh, Talking about... Oh, I've got a quick thing to say about the Mitski record, which is I liked it more as time passed, and I got really hung up on the song um, Nobody. And I even so much so wanted to like learn it to potentially cover it. I didn't wind up. I did not wind up doing that. But the process of learning that song, I think when we reviewed it, I said some sort of thing like, uh, "It's you know, it's very simple. It's just you know, it's ascending, it's descending, blah blah blah." Uh, no, it was a uh, very very clever uh, in a lot of ways. Um, the 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 melody, uh, the way it works is uh, very clever, and the difference between the two verses is subtle. Uh, but they're basically just a whole step apart following the same pattern. I'm so lonely, so I open the window to hear sounds of people, to hear sounds of people. Venus, planet of love, was destroyed by global warming. Did it A lot of kind of like arbitrary mathematicalism like uh like she's uh mitski it's kind of like uh like uh, adolescent math rock <laughs> in a way uh, I, I was gonna say are you saying she's like dillinger escape plan or something maybe a little bit because just oh. lots of like algorithm based symmetry in the way her songs are put together and i just I, I find that really interesting so more 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 credit heaping onto her uh, is all I has to say about that. 
Justin, you talk now. Go. I think it's a very good album. Also, I've been listening to the Courtney Barnett album a lot, and I like it a lot more, and I like it a lot. The uh, um, Tell Me How You Really Feel, I think, is, is better than probably any of the three of us gave it credit for. Yeah. But it's just because the first album is so fucking good. Exactly, yeah. And distinct. Yes. Yeah. It's really hard to follow up something that's so distinct without more of that thing. Yeah, and she tried to do less of that thing, to her credit. Yeah, because maybe she realized she was running out of runway with yeah. with that whole concept. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, here, here's a, a big old dangle. Um... um I like the Frightened Rabbit album a lot better than... Fuck <laughs> you! <laughs> or should we kick its content and watch as it dies from bleeding? If you don't want to be with me, just say and I will go. I think um, I was just upset and angry at the time. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> what if I re-listen to that fucking Frankie Cosmos album and really like it? I, I, I stick by how that turned out. I do, too. I, I think our assessment was pretty... Yeah, it's good. I And I like it. It's good, but we had fun making fun of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, the things... When we were dragging it, we weren't saying things that weren't true. Like, it is the album you will hear in Pancheros. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think, I believe I said Wendy's commercial. <laughs> no, that's chairlift. Oh, yeah. Me and Frank. I, are, we're but, chairlift apologists in a weird way. I think we at least were. Here's the thing about being a chairlift apologist who the fuck is chairlift? Is it The most obscure, shortly lived 15 minutes kind of band that had like. I think they were 10 minutes. Less. They were in an Apple commercial in like 1993 or something. I don't know. But their follow I I used to really go to bat for that follow up album. That Me second too. album they did. That yeah. album, I talked about it a lot. It had a, actually had a pretty big influence on me musically. It kind of convinced me that sort of making a whole record inside a computer was a viable option. Uh, Can we do that second album? We could. We could do that second. It would be a bit of an oddity. I I would discover. I'm, I might discover that I don't actually like them. <laughs> I've been saying that I like them for years. Uh, they're just... They're weird... Uh, Let's not turn this into a chairlift jam. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but, uh, but Tom and I, we, we have talked about this several times. Is that, That's just a weird thing that we have, is we're, we're weirdly apologetic about chairlift. Whenever you say chairlift, I think you're talking about Silverchair, the bad <laughs> band from the 90s. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you thought we were talking about Chairs Missing, the Wire album. Yeah. <laughs> or Silver Jews. In 1984, 
hospitalized for approaching perfection. band or do you guys remember the local band silver tide no yes <laughs> they were terrible she's the kind of girl you bring home to your mother she looks good in blue jeans even better undercover she's a devil in bed between the sheets ask her she's a saint and she'll get down on her knees and pray yeah. wasn't one of them in the m night Shyamalan movie I think so. Lady yes. Water. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 All of those things are bad. <laughs> oh, they they had one song that WMMR played the hell out of. Yeah. If you recall. Yeah. Jesus. Um. Uh, oh, and uh, we'll just I'll put this in here uh, for more entertainment news. Uh, speaking of Silver Jews, uh, Dave Berman is back with a new project. He's done writing poetry, and he's got a new band called Purple Mountains, and everyone will go, cool, more Silver Juice. <laughs> <laughs> I should listen to more Silver Juice. I, I should really too. should. I mean, like, I, the thing about Silver Juice is it's like making uh, it's like making homemade pasta, where you just you dump the olive oil onto the, uh, or the egg onto the, uh, the mound of flour, and it will absorb as much as you need. You know what I mean? Silver Jews will find its appropriate quantity in your life. You don't have to mm. do any work. It just sort of soaks in. Don't try to listen to more Silver Jews. That's a mistake. <laughs> That's fair. Um. All right. All right. All right. 